Those were scenes last night of Joe Biden's victory rally in Wilmington, Delaware, when he was declared the 46th president-elect of the United States of America. After a week of nail-biting vote counting, legal challenges and plenty of tweets, the race is finally over. So how did we get here and what does this all mean for the world? Welcome to this post-election special of the Meridian podcast. Well, guys, um, hello. Uh, we did it. Welcome back. We made it through this week. I'm so sorry I wasn't on the podcast before this, but it's it's been a week. Um, yeah, it's been a week. Oh, it's been a week. I don't oh, it's been a week. There's not really any other way to describe this week <laughs> other than a week. <laughs> I have never, I have never felt so obliged to be watching the news every second of the day and at the same time just sort of not want to look in a way um honestly oh, key race alert was haunting my dreams by the end of the week. oh god yeah. those of you that the number cnn of... you'll know what i mean <laughs> mm-hmm. the number of hours i've spent watching cnn this week do you know what though i've actually been converted to cnn and i am mildly obsessed with john king and his magic wall i was really impressed with their coverage actually so impressed it was really, to be, to be fair, the whole, really coverage the whole team was just unbelievably good you know wolf blitzer in his little square room where he declares the races john king in his wall jake tapper at his table it was absolute dream team yeah i also thought abby phillips was fantastic i just yeah and donna bash yeah the whole the whole team like was probably the reason why i couldn't look away i've learned so much about the geography of the united states (laughs) and the demographics but honestly the moment like that they called it and wolf walked away i knew he was walking into his little special i literally messaged you didn't i and said like he's like they've just said that wolf stepped away from the board for a second and i was like i know exactly where he's gone the producer has called him over and said we're about to call pennsylvania the most historic call like that because they cnn called it first didn't they so they did i think i saw a, a time breakdown on twitter it was something like cnn called it at this is our time, UK time, uh, 4.25 and 10 seconds or something like that. Um, yeah, so they were first. Obviously, huge moment. Let's have a listen to the moment that CNN called the race. After four long, tense days, we've reached a historic moment in this election. We can now project the winner of the presidential race. CNN projects Joseph R. Biden Jr. is elected the 46th president of the United States, winning the White House and denying President Trump a second term. We're able to make this projection because CNN projects Biden wins Pennsylvania. The former vice president in his third... Oh, great. Honestly, that was such a historical moment. Honestly, so good. And also, can I just say, this really sounds like this is an advert for CNN. I promise we are not being paid by anyone. I was just obsessed with them this week. Honestly, same. Like, you know what? I've got to put my hands up and say that I'm a CNN convert. I'd never really watched it that much before, but... No, neither. It was actually really interesting um, to see the American networks covering it. Um, it. It was so different to, to the, the BBC or whatever coverage, I I had to, I really just felt like the like at, at the start when I first started watching CNN I was like no this is too dramatic I find like I find that US news is quite fast-paced um mm-hmm. but then I realized that how much more in-depth the coverage probably I mean obviously because it's America like they're gonna have a more in-depth coverage um but CNN especially like really broke everything down and like I you felt like you could follow it like without being too overwhelmed but I swear the whole bit where Florida was bouncing back and forth between the two I actually thought I was going to have an aneurysm like it was so <laughs> stressful to watch um, do you know what I I thought the election was going a completely different way at the start because you we, you had numbers coming out of um, Miami-Dade County obviously where the city of Miami is and Donald Trump was way outperforming his 2016 numbers. Um, and, and he did outperform himself in Florida uh, compared to 2016. So I thought that's the direction the whole election was going. But this election was so different in terms of the way votes were counted and the way states were announced um, that 
that things just changed so much. Should we talk about that for a minute, how the results changed over five days? Yeah, so obviously because there has been a global pandemic, I'm sure you guys have all noticed that that's been happening. <laughs> um, that meant that a lot more people um, decided to do mail-in ballots this year. And whilst Donald Trump spent most of his campaign um, saying that mail ballots were fraudulent and discouraging Republican voters from using them and telling them to turn out on the day. Biden very much based his campaign on encouraging people to vote early, to use absentee ballots. But the problem with that was, well, it wasn't a problem, of course, but the issue with that on election day was that a lot of states, for example, like Pennsylvania, Nevada, have just never dealt with mail-in ballots on that scale. And a lot of states, again, Pennsylvania, have laws in place that mean that they can't start counting those ballots until election day. And so that was why not only did it take so much longer um, than a normal election would take to call, um, but also why we saw states leading heavily Trump, uh, like Pennsylvania was heavily Trump, like on, on the night of the election. I think he had about a 10 point lead in Pennsylvania. On exactly. Only for him to just slowly but surely overtake Trump in all of these key states all across the the what's it called again the blue belt no the rust belt yeah the rust belt oh my god my brain is not working the blue wall or the rust belt yeah exactly yeah. um and that was what made it so fascinating to watch and why it was so difficult for the networks to call the election because they had to take into account where all these votes were coming from like because mail in ballots did just lean heavily de- um heavily democratic yeah, and what it was that pushed over um, Joe Biden, that pushed him over the winning line, was, as I explained at the end of the uh, last episode, the pre-election special, was that they have this electoral college system where they need to get 270 votes to win. And, you know, each state is assigned a different number of votes. And Joe Biden was on 253 votes. And then it was predicted that there was no mathematical way that Trump could win in Pennsylvania, and therefore he was declared the winner of Pennsylvania, which holds 20 Electoral College votes, which pushed him to 273, which won him the election. Um, And, Um, no, go ahead. Yeah, at the moment as well, it's looking like um, if he manages to hold his lead in Arizona, which is slipping, but they think that he might just be able to hold on to it, and Nevada, and Georgia, which would be insane, um, Arizona and Georgia, because they have not, been democrat since bill clinton i believe in 19 like certainly in the case of georgia yeah 92 yeah 1992 right um then he's looking to be on track for 306 electoral college votes which is exactly how many um trump won by in 2016 so yeah i mean if we let's just let's just look at the results for a minute we must remember that in 2016 trump not even in his own terms but in the overall narrative was declared it was declared that he had given Hillary Clinton an absolute thrashing by overturning all these states that Barack Obama won. And let's just look at what happened in this election. Joe Biden turned Wisconsin from red to blue, Michigan red to blue, Pennsylvania red to blue, and it's very likely both Georgia and Arizona will also go red to blue. Now, what presidential campaigns in America aim to do is to fight for those swing states, those battleground states, that are the ones that change hands during each election. And Joe Biden's campaign have absolutely smashed it out the park in terms of their electoral strategy, in terms of focusing on the states that matter. And second to that, Joe Biden has received the most votes cast for a presidential candidate in history, 74, and still counting, by the way, 74.5 million votes have been cast in favour of Joe Biden. So as well as the huge, well, as well as the reasonable electoral college mandate he's going to have, he's going to have something that that Donald Trump didn't have back in 2016, which is a huge popular vote mandate. You have to remember that Hillary Clinton beat Donald Trump in the popular vote. Hillary Clinton got three million more votes than Donald Trump did, but that won't be the case this year. Joe Biden will potentially have a you know, 40, 50 vote lead in the Electoral College. And he will also have, it's looking like around a 5 million vote lead in the popular vote. But as I say, Joe Biden is the f- the the most number of votes cast for a presidential candidate. Eve, who's the second most? Uh, Donald Trump, ironically. Um, but that, that obviously, we can have a whole conversation about the Electoral College um, system, which me, I think the last sort of seven election, like, I can't remember what the exact statistic is, but the Democrats tend to win the popular vote, but yeah, tend so, to win the election because of 
because of the way I feel like that needs a whole podcast in itself talking about yeah how that that system works but it's a hugely academic and technical debate um but yeah basically democrats are highly disadvantaged by the electoral college and it mainly comes down to uh the number of votes that each state is allocated so um again as i said in the last podcast california has 55 votes and it has a population of about 40 million and i think wyoming was wyoming the example i used so actually your vote is worth more electoral college votes in a rural state such as, you know, South Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, than it is in New York or California. Yeah, but if we look at the numbers, um, as you said, um, the, um, the both, like, obviously Biden has won the most votes for a president in US history, but Trump is second behind that. They both received more votes than have ever been cast for president before. Um, and the turnout this year is looking to be astronomically higher. Phenomenal. Um, which a 67% people... is the turnout projected. Exactly. Which I, I guess if people who might not be familiar with turnout figures, 67%, oh, it, it sounds fine, yeah. That's about what we get in UK general elections, tends to be between 65 and 70%. For context, US presidential elections, turnout is almost always in the 50 percent as uh, 2016 was 59 percent so 67 percent this was a high turnout and um, a lot of people uh actually attribute that to why hillary didn't uh, there are lots of reasons why hillary didn't win in yeah. um, in 2016 but ultimately the problem that she had is that people just did not the democrats just did not turn out to vote for hillary people were not i think a people didn't take trump seriously um and sort of assumed that Hillary's win would be a given the pollsters assumed it would be a given I think everybody did and so a lot of people did not feel enthused enough by Hillary to go out and vote for her um but what Joe Biden has done is he I mean fair enough Trump got the Republicans to turn out you know and they turned out in numbers um but ultimately Joe Biden just got more Democrats to turn out yeah. and he, he got back all of those states that Hillary lost. And he said, he said right towards the start of his campaign, he was like, we are going to win this election and we are going to win it in, like, yeah, in the Rust Belt. We are going to win back those states. We are going to win back these industrial communities. Um, that is that is the group that they aimed their campaign at. He was born and raised in um, Scranton, in Pennsylvania, yeah. and um, in Delaware. And he has always said, you know, I am... You know, I am not a man of the people, but a man. I understand the struggles that you are going through. I understand, and I will be there for you. And a lot of those workers who had felt overlooked um, by the Democratic Party and by Hillary Clinton's campaign voted for Trump out of frustration and out of a wish for things to change. And Biden is obviously over the moon that his campaign has worked and he has managed to win back that demographic because those like between suburban women and middle-class workers in that Rust Belt. Um, those are the two demographics that were key in, in, winning, him, in winning him the presidency. I, and I do think it is really important to emphasise how close this was. I, I, I reckon if you changed 100,000, maybe 150,000 votes, the result would literally be the opposite. So, and that's, that's not to say this isn't a resounding win for Joe Biden. It is because American elections are always this close. This is nothing new. Um, it's always these key states. And we're talking about thousands of votes within those states. So there's nothing new there. But it must be remembered that this could have very easily been an opposite result. Yeah. Um, and I, th I think it is worth talking about. You're talking about turnout there and getting out the vote. It's so interesting how contrary to four years ago, Democrats run an insanely good get out the vote campaign because, you know, you have you have the traditional political campaign, which runs throughout the year or whatever. But towards the end of any election campaign, whether it be British, American, you have this thing called the get out the vote campaign. And that is put the arguments to one side. You now need to get your people to the polls, because even if you persuade them, unless they vote, it doesn't count. And I think Georgia is such an amazing example of that in that. Stacey Abrams, um, who, for those who don't know, she ran for the governorship of uh, Georgia in 2018 during the midterms, and she failed to do that. And she failed to be successful. And what she did after that was she set up a grassroots organising framework um, 
to re-enfranchise many African-Americans in Georgia who had been disenfranchised through, you know, systematic means. She ran a huge election day operation and, you know, the weeks prior to election to get people out and voting. And I think I think Democratic strategists for years will be marvelling at what Stacey Abrams has managed to do in Georgia. I mean, we should say Georgia hasn't yet been called, but it is very likely that it will go to Joe Biden. And yeah, it, it's an astonishing achievement. Yeah, I mean, of course, she lost so narrowly to Brian Kemp in um, in her governorship race. And she actually refused to concede to Brian Kemp because there were accusations of um, racially motivated voter suppression. You would have seen the scenes in Georgia, the problems that people had when trying to vote, the huge lines. Um, and I think that people saw those scenes in Georgia. I think people were very worried this year that similar scenes would play out that would be exacerbated by the pandemic. Um, but thankfully, people like Stacey Abrams and due to just a general, I think just in general, there was a sense this time after everything that's happened this year with the pandemic, 230,000 Americans have lost their lives with the George Floyd protests, um, bringing racially motivated violence, systemic racism back into the spotlight, which it should have been anyway. Um, and just there were so many things this year and you saw even celebrities or just a lot of people saying like, go to the polls and vote like your life depends on it. And for certain communities that have been disproportionately hurt by the Trump presidency, be that African-Americans, be that immigrants, be that women. Um, there was a sense, there was a sense that voting this time didn't just mean, you know, voting for Joe Biden. It meant voting out Trump um, and rejecting thing like that, the ideals that have sort of split the country into. I know a lot, a lot of young Democrats would be the first to say that they didn't vote necessarily for Biden, but they knew that a vote for Biden was a vote against Trump. And that, I think, is what everybody was on the streets celebrating yesterday. Yeah, I, I think t talking about groups that have been um, perhaps targeted by the Trump presidency, obviously the demographic groups are the most important ones, African-Americans, women, LGBT community, all of those. But another group that has also been targeted uh, has been the media, actually, over the last four years by Trump and actually his whole press operation. He has had multiple press secretaries, all of which have, let's say, not taken a traditional approach to dealing with the press. They have said things which are certifiably not true on the record, and then they simply stick by them, even when they're presented with facts. Um, and I think just while we're on the, the topic of calling the results, what the results were, I think it is worth having a short discussion about actually the role of the media in this election and the crucial role that it plays in all democratic processes. Because, look, when Joe Biden was declared winner yesterday, it was no state official who did that. It was the media who did that because they have the teams of sophologists and experts and mathematicians and statisticians on their teams. And they worked out that it was mathematically impossible for Trump to win Pennsylvania and therefore he wins the election. So they declared it. So they sent notifications to everyone's phone. And that is what you get with a free press. They shaped the narrative of this election. And it has to be said, I'm not saying that Trump did it was his aim to take over any media or to completely eliminate free press. I have no idea what his aim was, but I think without a free press, this week would have ended very differently. Donald Trump came out on election night and said, frankly, we did win this election. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. And so, you know, at that point, He'd, he hadn't won that election. There was a possibility that he would, but he hadn't. And that was a lie. And I think what you saw this week from the media was so, so interesting in that, you know, for the last four years, the media have, they've had to report the words that the president says because he is the president. His office legitimises his words. And they've had to add the caveats. They've had to add fact checkers in the corner of the screen saying, this is not true. This bit is true. This bit is completely false. But this week, you know, some networks, NBC News, literally interrupted their coverage um, yeah. of Trump's press conference. Okay, here we are again in the unusual position of not only interrupting the president of the United States, but correcting the president of the United States. And Ari Melber, don't go far. 
uh, given that you are our chief legal correspondent. There are no illegal votes that we know of. There because has been no he was lying to the American people about the electoral process, and it was just a huge moment for the media. It's I think. been it's been a, like it's been a week in terms of that, and that's something that really astounded me i knew that trump was going to ramp it up this week i knew that he would continue these allegations of voter fraud voter suppression i don't think anybody quite expected um the level to which it would it would escalate this week but as you said what i found fascinating is normally the media will caveat things that trump has said with allegedly or uh, rumors of or like accusations of or like typical journalistic language that ensures that they're not you know saying that it's a fact but this week every single news um was outright was calling it out for what it is lying um on sat on saturday morning i woke up i turned on cnn and um i think it was jake tapper and it was like Good morning. The president is awake and he is lying. And all week, their accusations or like with no evidence. Um, Twitter was just fact, like literally putting um, fact checkers on every single one of his tweets. And as you said, it got to the point where they literally had to interrupt um, Trump's speech because he was just blatantly lying about the electoral process with no evidence. The most surprising, I think, was that Fox News, and we all know that Fox News um has has um how do i say this politically in a politically correct way um has um not exactly been an enemy to the trump regime regime the trump oh wow <laughs> regime you know what i mean the trump administration. administration thank you um and one of their one of their hosts was uh talking to one of the reporters on the ground at one of the polling stations and was saying, you know, there's been allegations of this and that the observers have not been allowed in and all of this sort of stuff. And the reporter just turned around and went, that is categorically not true. That's not happening. That is a lie. And it's been truly fascinating to see this week um, that sort of shift um, just to calling lies out for what they are, which are lies. Um, truly, truly fascinating. And it's also been truly fascinating to see accusations of um, the projections, obviously, as you were saying, the media make the projections. And uh, towards uh, Friday night, Saturday morning, when it became quite clear that Pennsylvania was going to go Biden's way. And on CNN, they were saying at least five times an hour that Pennsylvania would not turn blue. Um, then the pressure started to rank up, you know, on Twitter, on social media. And you saw people accusing CNN of not wanting to anger Trump and like being scared of the ramifications and all of this. And it's crazy how how the media has such a big role in in deciding when the election gets called and like their it's their statistical models that are the ones that shape the day like well obviously at this point it shaped the week mm. but um yeah it's been really 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 fascinating yeah and actually i i think um vice president-elect kamala harris who we will come on to talk about um i think that she gave a nod to that this week because she said she listed things that this new administration would embrace, you know, rather than perhaps the values that the Trump administration has embraced. And she said at the end of that list, and yes, truth. You chose hope and unity, decency, science, and yes, truth. And yeah, I, I just think what she was saying there is actually... Under this administration, no, it's not going to be perfect, but you won't have to worry on a daily basis about pre the president lying, knowingly lying through his teeth. Yeah, and I think I think that's highly significant. Should we get on to a sort of a bit of a post-mortem about the campaigns, where it started, where it all went wrong, where it all went right? Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's really, really difficult to pinpoint um exactly where it went right for biden and wrong for trump but i would say that honestly ultimately we have to talk about the elephant in the room which is the covid19 pandemic yeah. uh, people are of the opinion that trump would have had pretty pretty good chances of getting a second term in office had it not been for the covid19 pandemic you know the, he was he was on that on track with his economy argument that he was boosting the economy that he created jobs you know that he had he'd you know he had delivered on a lot of the things 
was going to do in office. And then came the pandemic, a complete economic collapse, um, not just in America, just across the world, rocketing unemployment. And um, ultimately, his approval rating, I think, dropped to 38% at one point because of his handling of the pandemic or lack thereof. You know, absolute chaos, um, no, like, overarching policy, fighting with, like, you know, the states, like the state authorities who were just trying to, you know, stop people from getting infected and losing their lives. Um, and within the space of less than a year, 230,000 Americans have lost their lives, which is way, way, way more than countries that introduced far stricter measures um, to control the virus. And um, ultimately, I think that that damaged not only, you know, his approval ratings, but just his ability to, his ability to run a campaign saying that he'd made America great again because the country's been burning with riots this year. There's been, you know, riots against the whole George Floyd situation. There's been a raging pandemic. Thousands of people have lost their lives. And he's just, I mean, what has he done to to stop that yeah do, do you know what I, I look at it like this so i i actually agree i am of the opinion that if covid19 hadn't come around trump would have won re-election of course that's a completely hypothetical situation we have no idea if that's true but that's just my gut feeling what i would say is that i don't think covid19 handed election victory on a plate to joe biden no, no I, don't, I don't think it was an automatic win because the entire biden campaign strategy revolved around around one thing and that was contrast. Every single day, every word he said, every tweet they posted was about creating the maximum contrast between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And obviously the best issue on which to do that was COVID-19 because it affected everyone. So when Trump came out and said, inject yourself with disinfectant, which even though Nigel Farage denied those words on British television this week, he did say. This is what he said. Was interesting right and then i see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute one minute and is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or sorry nigel am i have i made that up yes okay we just right. saw the clip. it's okay it's okay you know joe biden simply had to come out and say you shouldn't inject yourself with bleach i will listen to scientists and scientists say you should do this so Absolutely, COVID-19 damaged Donald Trump. But I think actually Donald Trump damaged himself in relation to COVID-19. Donald Trump decided not to go into a lockdown when he should have done. He, he decided to say things that were deeply irresponsible and in contrast to what Dr. Fauci, the head of the Center for Disease Control, was saying. And so, yeah, I think Joe Biden's strategy was actually there made for him. Like, let's just talk about Joe Biden for a minute. He, he was never meant to run in this election. He's run twice before in, in 1988 and 2008. And when he left office with Barack Obama in 2016, he thought he was done. He, he was done with politics. He was doing a lot of charity work for um, in memory of his son, Bo, who died of cancer. He was doing a lot of speeches, you know, that kind of thing. And then he said that he was inspired to run because of a moment in 2017, in August, when neo-Nazis, actual neo-Nazis, were marching on the streets of Charlottesville in the US. And Donald Trump, the president of the United States, came out and said there were fine people on both sides of those protests. Who also had people that were very fine people on both sides. You had people in that group, excuse me, excuse me. I.e. what he meant by that was there were fine people on the neo-Nazi side and there were fine people on the anti-fascist protest side. And I, I, I think he had a realisation that many people had in that, that that isn't what an American president does. They, they don't say there were fine people of, on both sides. This isn't a both sides issue. This is an issue of right and wrong. And I think Joe Biden was so inspired to run because of that. I think ultimately you're right. And that he sort of stepped back onto the political stage because, I mean, he, as you said, he's run for president twice before. And um, both of those times he's not been successful. And I think that ultimately, um, not to, not to, to dig, like to dig on Joe Biden, like I, I just to say though, he is 
not the most remarkable candidate, if that makes sense. He's not oh, not a big personality. Um, he's not the most fantastic orator the US has ever seen. But he, I think he read the room and he realised that what the American people need right now is compromise. They need stability. They need someone that is that represents the opposite of the chaos that has been the last four years under the Trump administration. And a lot of people, as I said earlier, would be the first to say that they would not pick Biden as their ideal Democratic candidate. But ultimately, Biden's strength in this campaign came from, as you said, making this election a referendum on Trump as a personality. Yeah. Essentially, a vote for Trump is a vote, you know, for Trump, but a vote against Trump is not necessarily a vote for Joe Biden, but a vote to remove somebody from office that, as he saw, and as a lot of people clearly saw, judging by the vote, has damaged the country. And he kept saying, this is a battle for the soul of America. This is a battle to heal America. And even, um, we'll put some of his victory speech in here now, it, it revolved around unity and just bringing back the country from the precipice of complete division. Um, and I think that that was ultimately the message that people responded to and why he was successful like the third time and not the first two times, because the first two times the the political circumstances were not right for him. Such a remarkable, quite centrist candidate, if that makes sense. And as well, you can definitely see that in the fact that the Democrats didn't actually do that well down the ballot. They lost seats in the House and they may get a 50-50 split in the Senate if these two runoffs in Georgia go their way. But it's also looking like they may not gain control of the Senate. Um, so the fact that the Republicans have done better down the ballot um, but have lost the presidency shows how much Trump as a personality and as a president was the, was the key thing that people were voting for when they were voting for Biden. Yeah, look, I think I think Joe Biden's candidacy obviously had one purpose this year, and that was to get Donald Trump out of office. And I think the reason that many people voted for him in the primaries isn't, as you say, because he's a particularly impressive orator, even though I must say that his victory speech was absolutely by far the best Biden speech I have ever seen yeah. in my life. He Remember, he he grew up with a stutter. He, he still has that from time to time. He's known for his, his gaffes and he didn't make a single mistake. It was very impressive, I must say. Um, but look, I think Joe Biden's candidacy removed a layer of doubt in many American voters' minds. I think Democratic strategists thought, right, people are either gonna support Trump or they're gonna have or they're gonna not, or they're gonna be in the middle and they're gonna be doubtful. And obviously it's the doubtful ones that they need to convince. And they thought, what is the way we can maximize people getting out to the polls and voting for the Democratic candidate rather than Donald Trump. And they did that by removing an extra layer of consideration in their mind. So these voters would have thought, okay, I don't really like Trump. Now, if there was someone else, perhaps with more, let's say, radical ideas, ideas more further to the left, such as Bernie Sanders, then that would have arguably added an extra layer of consideration. So those voters would have thought, mm, okay, well, I don't like Donald Trump, but do I really like this person? Do I like what they're standing on that? And we can have debates about their policies, like till the cows come home. But I think the point I'm making is he, he's a bland candidate. He's, he's the vanilla candidate. He has a huge amount of experience in Washington. He's probably not the radical socialist. In fact, he's definitely not the radical socialist that Donald Trump painted him as. Um, and so I think the, the winning combination was both that purpose and also the campaign itself. I must say, I agree that it was probably one of the most boring presidential campaigns I've seen or read about or watched, but I actually think it was also one of the slickest. I cannot think off the top of my head of a single significant crisis or gaffe that the, that the Biden campaign went through. Can you? But this is this is what this is what won him the election, in my opinion. It was was the fact that it was so uneventful as a campaign. So yeah. obviously, because of the pandemic, obviously Trump was still out doing his massive rallies, which have actually, like, I think um, a few studies have traced back like tens of thousands of infections to those rallies. Um, and Biden um, was obviously ridiculed by 
by Trump for like staying in his basement and things like that. And, you know, having a relatively low key campaign. Of course, he did the like the car rallies and things like that. But I think that actually played to Biden's character, like as a, as a strength. You know what right. I mean? Like normally you would want a really, really big campaign, huge, like, you know, traveling from city to city, maximum exposure. But because of the pandemic, they could kind of keep keep it low key. And that meant that there was less opportunity for Biden to say something that would seriously damage. Of course, there were a couple of gaffes, but they were not significant enough. And he was also clever, as you said, by sticking to more centrist policies. Um, you know, he's he's didn't back universal um, health care. Um, you know, his taxing policies weren't as radical as the left. Um, he wasn't he's not exactly Alexander Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, is he really? Um, but that's why a lot of voters um, speaking on the news yesterday who voted for Biden said that this is just the beginning, that getting Trump out of office was what united a very, very divided Democratic Party. Um, even Alexandria was like, look, we have a lot of things that we want to fight for, but let's get Biden into office first. And Bernie said the same. Our aim right now is to get Trump out of office because we are not going to be able to move to more progressive politics that we would like to see in the country until we get Trump out. And as you said, a centrist candidate, a candidate who represents stability, who has been on the political scene for a long time, who is relatively just uncon not uncontroversial in the sense that he's not, not done uncontroversial things, but I mean, controversial things, but just relatively what a lot of undecided voters would see as a safe bet. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I that's why he won this year. That's you. I don't know if Biden would have won um any other i think he, the circumstances were just right for someone like biden to be yeah. what what the us needed at he the was moment. the right person at the right time yeah. and i think there's there's a, a common um phrase in british politics divided parties don't win elections and it's largely true and i think the democratic party was completely united in a way that it wasn't around hillary clinton in 2016 exactly. and i th and i think it wasn't in 2016 because I, I, Trump's presidency was all theoretical. You know, he probably wasn't going to win, they all thought. And, you know, they didn't really know if he'd do. Maybe he would change. He wouldn't be this brash, you know, reality TV star as president. He would change and become more, quote unquote, presidential. Um, so they, they weren't that concerned. But this year, I think whether you disagree or not with Bernie Sanders, and there's a lot to disagree and agree with him on, he has been incredibly gracious you know it came down to the last two between bernie sanders and joe biden in the democratic primaries and he has been incredibly supportive of biden he has really helped unite the left um the, actually the biden campaign themselves had a great online campaign i thought actually far better than the trump campaign and it's generally thought the trump campaign won the online battle in 2016 you know they were doing really simple quite funny things that Hillary's campaign just weren't doing in 2016. You know, in one of Trump's um, rallies, he said something like, if I lose, you'll never see me again. I'll never and, see the you. <laughs> and the Biden campaign just clipped. It was, a, it was a seven second advert. They just clipped that clip of Trump saying, if I lose, you'll never see me again. And then at I'm the end, Biden, they just said, I approve I'm Joe this. Biden and I approve this message. It's just genius. If I lose to him, I don't know what I'm going to do. I will never speak to you again. You'll never see me again. I'm Joe Biden and I approve this message. And... It's those kind of things that generated mi literally millions and millions of retweets, likes and views on Twitter and Facebook. Um, and so th this really felt like a democratic campaign that was for every Democrat and for every independent. You know, it felt like it reached very, very far out in that, you know, we all have many disagreements on policy, but there's one agreement that all Democrats can think of and that is that we need to get Donald Trump out of office and I think Joe Biden was characterized by his campaign as sort of this elder statesman the guy to get him out and then you can all take over and do the policy changes that you want in the future exactly that I mean this actually will lead us on really well to discussion of Kamala Harris um that you know he might only be a one-term president in the sense that he is 78 he is the oldest president to have ever been elected into office he yeah. he not to be morbid but I, I hope this doesn't happen of course but he may not make it to the end of his four years i'm not trying to sure. say that or he might decide that he only wants to do four and that he wants to hand hand over to kamala and I, yeah. um, I think that leads us quite well into 
a discussion about the first ever female vice president, the first ever South Asian vice president, first ever black female. Oh, just all the firsts. So many glass ceilings. I saw um, uh, I saw Kay Burley, Sky News, yes. tweeted this, mo- this morning a great graphic. It said, um, put your shoes on this morning, women. There's plenty of glass on the floor. And do you know what? I think that summed it up. Four years ago, Hillary Clinton failed to shatter the highest glass ceiling at her victory rally. What well, was what was meant to be a victory I rally? She had a, she had a fake glass it. ceiling oh. ready to be smashed, and that didn't happen. But do you know what? Senator Harris smashed one last night, and that, and she has now become the highest ranking woman in U.S. history. And what a night! What a night that firework rally was, and how amazing. Um, her speech was again we should add a little bit in here to the woman most responsible for my presence here today my mother Shamala Gopalan Harris who is always in our hearts Uh, when she came here from India at the age of 19 she maybe um, didn't quite imagine this moment but she believed so deeply in an America where a moment like this is possible And so I am thinking about her and about the generations of women, black women, Asian, white, Latina, Native American women, and to the children of our country, regardless of your gender, our country has sent you a clear message dream with ambition lead with conviction and see yourselves in a way that others may not simply because they've never seen it before but it was just truly 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 an inspiring moment um for so many young women for so many young black women for such just for 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 so many people to see somebody that they can relate to in one of the highest offices in the US. And and it's not even just, we're we're not even only talking about the African-American community or the Indian-American community. We're talking about the female community of the United States. You know, they have never seen a woman in the Oval Office, whether that be as president or vice president. And I think it's so significant that after four years of Donald Trump, who is on tape having bragged about sexual assault. That isn't an opinion, that's an objective fact. He bragged about sexual assault. And after four years of that president being in office, Joe Biden is now entering office with a speaker, with the first female speaker of the house behind him, who is essentially the leader of the opposition, and the first female vice president who is also of African-American and Indian-American descent. It's this, the, the irony and the sort of cyclical nature of all of this is just, huge yeah abby phillips on cnn actually said that trump's presidential campaign started out with the racist bertha lie that was trying to cast doubt on barack obama's presidency and it has ended with an african-american woman in the oval office like it's just you cannot make this up you know you can't make it up and and you know what speaking of i was talking about the online campaign a minute ago Kamala Harris's official accounts um, released a video of her calling the moment that she called Joe Biden um, and said, you know, we've won. Let's have a listen. We did it. We did it, Joe. You're going to be the next president of the United States. <laughs> and I just thought that was such an, an emotional video to watch. You could that that wasn't staged. She, you know, she was out on a run. She was literally phoning him to say, "You did it." And the laugh at the end, I just, oh, I just, I, you just could feel the not only just the joy, but just the relief. And I think so many. I think I kind of was. I think I had a feeling that that they would pull it off, and I think a lot of people did. Um, but I think, as I said, there was a big fear that the polls would be wrong. Um, they were actually really wrong again. They were very wrong. We'll talk about polling in a that's sec because whole... I've got a lot to say to Nate Silver at 5.30. Yeah, that's a whole other kettle of fish. But I think after five days of just the, like for a lot of people, it felt like it was the future of the country that was hanging in the balance for those five days. But all the way through those five days, 
to compare and contrast the behavior of Trump and the behavior of Joe and Kamala. Mm. Um, you know, they they kept saying, keep the faith, every vote must be counted, we will... Yeah, it comes back to that issue of contrast. It comes back to their main strategy. Yeah, whilst Joe, whilst Trump was just tweeting, like, I've won this election, there's fraud, like, legal challenges are going everywhere, and they did not rise to the bait, apart from that one statement that they said where they were like, um, mm. we will be able to escort trespassers out of office. Wow. But I know. I saw that. I, I gasped. I think they were, uh, to be fair at that point, I think they were probably losing their patience a little bit. Um, I think we all yeah. were by that point. But all week they were, you know, asking for donations to fight for election protection efforts. And they were just, they just kept saying, keep the faith, keep the faith. And then last night, Joe Biden said, um, I think it was his dad that told him or someone told him to keep the faith. And now he's said, no, we're going to spread the faith. And that's going to be their message for for the next four years. And yeah, it, it was just crazy to see. I don't know if you saw this morning as well, which is totally off topic, but also quite shocking that Dominic Raab was asked by Sophie Rigg on yeah. Sky News this morning. Um, do you think that every vote should be counted? And he <laughs> he just would not answer the question. And even when he wanted yeah. to congratulate Joe, he was like, "I know that there are still certain processes that are playing out, but it is clear that you know that Joe has won." Um, yeah, I mean, there there was a debate this week about how world leaders would react. Were they going to listen to the US networks declaring the election or were they going to actually give some heedance to Donald Trump's claims of fraud? And absolutely, they all mounted against Donald Trump. Um, it took Boris Johnson, uh, I think it's fair to say, a while. It took him about an hour, an hour and a half to respond. But, you know, he, he responded very clearly. Congratulations to uh Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. I think, you know, it's no secret that Dominic Raab is one of, if not the most right wing member of the cabinet. And I think he's he's signaled that this week. He I think he signaled congratulations to Joe Biden, Kamala Harris. Donald Trump fought a very hard campaign or something. And I thought, okay this is this not meant to be a congratulation tweet like he he, we know where his allegiances are in terms of trade this is going to have huge impacts for trade in that biden is not a fan of brexit i think that is no secret for anyone who follows Um, kind of international relations i also don't think he's a big fan of boris johnson from what i've heard and i don't think kabla is Mm. either and so i think that whilst a lot of europe a lot of the world leaders and especially in europe are breathing a big fat sigh of relief that Biden has been elected. Um, I don't think Boris is is particularly thrilled uh, when it comes to no. prospects of a UK-US trade deal. I mean, I I don't have the quote with me now, so I'm paraphrasing. But Joe Biden said, I think as late as this year, something like Boris Johnson is an intellectual clone of yeah. Donald Trump, perhaps. Yeah, yeah so, so the, the, the special relationship is going to be really, really interesting. A bit of um, a bit of shade was thrown actually by uh, former Prime Minister Theresa May this week. She tweeted a picture of Joe. Yeah, she tweeted a picture of Joe Biden, um, saying congratulations and whatever. Um, kind of rubbing it in the face of Boris Johnson that I don't think he's ever properly met him, um, like in a formal setting. Um, so yeah, foreign relations can be very, very interesting. I think we're all forgetting that in less than two months we formally leave the European Union and we still haven't agreed a. Uh, transition de- a, a future agreement deal but um you know that's a I think issue. that that is an issue that we should just repress and forget <laughs> for now we can just bask in the I think that was actually why there was I think obviously Biden was saying you know like have patience guys we've got to be patient but I think there definitely was a concern that for like four or five consecutive days this week the US has had its highest caseload COVID caseload. Yeah. Um, and there's a sense of urgency, which is why that Biden's already announced that he's setting up a coronavirus task force. But even, even though he's ready to go and ready to combat this pandemic, he's not going to be in office until 20th of January. That's still a long, yeah. a long way away in terms of how a pandemic can develop. Um, it is. And, and, and just on the pandemic, I think, I think it is right that from a scientific point of view, not a political point of view, that Trump's rallies were condemned. And therefore, from a scientific point of view, these really dense street parties that we've been seeing are also condemned. You know, I completely understand why Democrats and people who supported Joe Biden are doing it. Um, I, I think the scenes were really emotional, actually, to watch, really inspiring. But I do think 
it doesn't help that people are crowding like that on the streets. No, I think it was definitely, as a lot of correspondents have reported, just a big sense of release, like a, a sort of pressure valve. Yeah. I don't live in the US. Uh, I have not, you know, been part of the communities that have been so badly impacted by the administration that even I felt like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders. So I cannot imagine how it must have felt after four years of um feeling so uncertain and for some people you know literally fearing for their lives and for their you know for their daily existence to to see that result uh and within about 30 seconds i think um correspondents were reporting that like cheers just completely like erupted and yeah i think the whole of new york was sort of applauding it was absolutely incredible to watch Um, and even in Berlin, like, I could hear people honking their horns. Uh, yeah. Really? So, wow. like, I think it's definitely, regardless of whether or not, you know, where you lean politically or anything like that, I think that the general consensus is that after a turbulent four years in the US, uh, hopefully this can bring some stability and give the country a chance to heal. Uh and I think that the overwhelming sense at the moment is a sense of hope and generally just a bit more of a forward-looking sense because the country is deeply, deeply divided and Biden has not got an easy term ahead of him. He's got a very, very de- divided public. He has a pandemic. He has an economic crisis. He has the climate crisis to deal with. He has a lot on his plate. But, you know, at the end of the day, as Van Jones said on CNN, we can also insert that here because I think he just says it perfectly. Well, it's easier to be a parent this morning. It's easier to be a dad. It's easier to, it's easier to tell your kids character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. Being a good person matters. And it's easier for a whole lot of people. If you're Muslim in this country, you, you, you don't have to worry if the president doesn't want you here. If you're an immigrant, you don't have to worry if the president's going to be happier to have babies snatched away or send, send dreamers back for no reason. Should we just have a talk, a really quick chat? You just mentioned looking forward, just about the future, you know, where we go from here. Immediately... <laughs> do you want to place a bet on whether Trump will go to the inauguration? <laughs> I I, do, I don't know. So um, the senior White House correspondent for the C- for CNN has did did tweet earlier that they the plan essentially is I think now uh, that that Trump's legal team is trying to sort of tell him that the chances of any legal challenge is it, it very like it's not going to change the result essentially because there are too many states that would need to be contested. Um, it's not this. It's not a Bush versus Al, versus Al Gore sort of situation, um, and that if there are no legal avenues, then he will look at conceding the race. But obviously, at the moment, uh, Biden has yet to receive the traditional phone call um, congratulating him. Uh, but ultimately, there will be a transition, and whether or not Trump takes a part yeah. in that transition, there are other officials and staff, and like the transition will happen regardless. It's, yeah, it's. The transition teams are in place and to know what it's actually obviously it's hugely politically significant but it's actually constitutionally irrelevant whether trump goes to the inauguration on inauguration day is not about um de-inaugurating the president that's not a word but you know what i mean it's it's about getting the new one uh, even if there's a ceremony or not joe biden gets sworn in at 12 p.m on the 20th of january 2021 and donald trump is no longer the president at that moment so you know whether he wants to go down in history as let's let's say it frankly the sorest loser in history um is his choice and he'll have to have chats with his family about that and i think people like ivanka and eric and don junior and they're going to have to say to him look you beat the establishment 4 years ago but the establishment have beaten you and you now have a choice whether you want to go down in the history books as a president who refused to believe that he had been legitimately beaten or whether you just want to be kicking and screaming about this election well as we've been talking he's posted yet another rattle on twitter um, 
Oh, go we on. We should go look on. at the votes. We're just beginning the tabulation stage. We should look at these allegations. We're seeing a number of affidavits that there has been voter fraud. We have a history in this country of election problems. In Pennsylvania, you had an order by a why this doesn't even make basically it's just a big long rant uh right and it's a quote from jonathan turley uh a criminal defense attorney a legal analyst but again it's just another one of his rants and like it's just not making him look good because it's not a case of one state is contested there have been no substantiated claims of voter fraud there has been no evidence put forward and so oh, yeah. it's it does it just looks he just looks ultimately like a sore loser, like a very very sore loser. A lot of a lot of people have been speculating. Okay, whatever inauguration day, what happens after that? Where does he go? Where do the Republican Party go for the next four years? Because let's not remember we started the episode by highlighting the fact that yes, Joe Biden has got the most votes of any presidential candidate in history, but Donald Trump has got the second most. There are tens and tens of millions of Americans who worship the ground that Donald Trump walks on, and they will only perhaps only want to vote for candidates who have the endorsement of Donald Trump. Now. I cannot see Donald Trump himself endorsing any establishment Republican figure. I can't see, even see Donald Trump endorsing Mike Pence for president in 24, who is his current VP, because Donald Trump believes that the Washington establishment is the enemy. And Mike Pence, whether he likes it or not, is part of the Washington establishment. So the real question is, who replaces Trump? Who could possibly replace him? I think Trumpism isn't going anywhere. Uh, I do think that a lot of the Republican Party will distance themselves from the current state of play, RE, voter fraud, allegations, etc., etc. Uh, I do think that they will help facilitate a smooth transition over to, to Biden, to the Biden administration. But yeah, looking forward to 2024... I agree. I, I just don't... I, it will be interesting to see. I'm not going to make any assumptions or guesses, really, as to where the party will go from here. Um, because whether we like it or not, yeah, as you said, 70 million people still voted for the Republican Party. Like, Trumpism is still alive and well. People use this word Trumpism, but I don't think Trumpism is an ideology. I think it's an attitude. You know, Trump doesn't have... Trump shares many... Uh, policy perspectives of many traditional Republicans. You know, he's economically protectionist and nationalist. He's socially conservative, all of these things, which many Republicans are. So I don't think Trumpism is specific to those policies. I think what Trumpism is, is an attitude to your political opponents and an attitude to the quote unquote establishment. And I think the policies of Donald Trump, for sure, they're not going anywhere because they're fairly traditional Republican policies. But the attitude is what I'm going to be watching. Are these people going to remain angry at everyone who opposes them? Are they going to, you know, keep following Trump's every word on Twitter? I think that's going to be what's really interesting. And will they ever return to a establishment Republican uh, figure to lead them? I, I can't see Mitt Romney or, you know, of course, the late John McCain. I cannot see people like that having any success with the Republican voter base. I guess base all of this, moment. honestly, like we can speculate, but I really do think that it just remains to be seen what happens in the next four years. You know, as we've seen, as we've seen, a lot has happened since 2016, um, and a lot yes, can change. If you'd have told me that Joe Biden would be the next president of the United States when Trump got elected, I would have laughed in your face, to be honest. We're just going to have to wait and see where the chips fall, basically, and how Biden goes about reuniting the country and how successful that proves to be. Um, yes, I would that. like to leave it, actually, on a very wholesome note. Um, as, as wholesome oh, as, well, I wouldn't say wholesome, but um, as lovely and heartening as it has been to, to see Biden and Harris be elected into office, what is really, what, what the real good news here is, Ollie, is that uh, Biden and his wife, Jill, have two dogs, Major and Chump, and Major will be oh. the first ever rescue dog to be in the White House. So speaking oh, of firsts. Stop. This is a really important first that a German Shepherd Major is going to be the first rescue dog. So I hope that dogs everywhere are wagging their tails in celebration today. That is so sweet. And actually, do you know what? Let's leave it because the Biden campaign did an advert on this. They 
they created an advert. It was something like, let's put dogs back in the White House. I think that's a Absolutely. So I hope you guys have enjoyed this podcast. And um, yeah, look out for plenty of articles on the Meridian, RE, the fallout of this election, because yeah. I can imagine that there will be quite a few. <laughs> yeah, there'll be many. Um, yeah, hope you enjoyed. We'll be Bye, back very soon. Bye. What? We'll go get the golf club. We'll go get the golf club. It's about the funniest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. We'll go get the golf club. All right, watch, watch this. Okay, let's go get it. Let's get the golf club. Let's, let's get it.